Conversations with Dwyer. I'm Matt Dwyer. This is a music podcast, and speaking of music, that song that played me in is called I Thought I Saw You. It is by Charlotte Cornfield, and it is from the album, The 11th Hour Songs for Climate Justice. The album is a compilation album that raises funds for the Climate Emergency Fund, which there is a link to the Climate Emergency Fund in the show notes. Uh, it is a great compilation album. I put it together with Sub Pop. Adam McKay, Oscar-winning film director, is the executive producer. I and Nick Duncan at Sub Pop curated it and uh, produced it. It is out October 28th. This episode comes out October 27th. All sh- all links are in the show notes for this album, unless, it, of course, it is the day before October 28th. But you can go to Sub Pop and on October 28th or my social media or my website, thematdwire.com, there'll be ways to buy the album. Or it'll be on all kinds of... It's going to be social media heavy. But the album includes 20 other artists besides Charlotte Cornfield. There are The Cloud Nothings, Death Valley Girls, Deerhoof, Gorilla Toss, Frankie Cosmos, Phenome, Fake Fruit, Kathleen, Kevin Devine, Little Wings, Mamalarkey, Marinero, Moby, Mud Honey. Oceanator, Shannon Lay, Sunny in the Sunsets, White Denim, and Yatsin. It's a great album. What I wanted was a album that was going to stand out on its own and also 100% helps support the Climate Emergency Fund, which I think, you know, if you're like me, you're concerned about uh, climate, you, that's, a, that's a good thing. So you can enjoy some great music and support a great cause. The Climate Emergency Fund uh helps fund activists who are fighting climate change. And Adam McKay, I know, has some things coming up in the near future where he will be doing some great activism. So that'll be helping that as well. Also in the show notes are all things Charlotte Cornfield. You can go to her band camp. Just an incredible singer, songwriter person who I greatly admire. And I really enjoyed this conversation with Charlotte Cornfield. I knew of Charlotte's music. I just didn't know the person that well. And I really greatly enjoyed this. We had a little bit in common. Really just a splendid person. Really great conversation. Please enjoy that. And please buy this album. You could go to Bandcamp. 100% of the the money stuff goes to the Climate Emergency Fund. I know I said that. I just want to say it again. Nick Duncan and I have worked very, very hard I'm putting this together. We had some ups and downs. We had a lot of great Zoom conversations. <laughs> uh, but mostly ups, quite honestly. We had a couple small bumps. And, of course, we there's artists you want. It was, And, you know, it's it was hard to put together because so many people, because of COVID, put a lot of their unreleased songs and stuff on, you know, on Bandcamp and stuff because they couldn't tour. And then... We were asking people to do the album and they were on tour because they hadn't been able to really, this was like the first summer people could tour extensively. So, but everyone who put out, put a a song for this album is great. Some of them were ones that the, they had already. Some people like Marinero, Jessup Marinero and Kathleen. And, uh, just, uh, they wrote up some great songs and I know fake fruit just happened to have a song about climate change so we got lucky on that one uh but man oh man it's a great album i don't have any favorite songs on it oh did i mention deerhoof i don't know if i mentioned deerhoof if i didn't mention deerhoof uh greg sunier from uh deerhoof wrote this song specifically for the album and it is a good one it leans towards one of my favorites but i like i said it's like a kid i have no favorites on this album they're all my little babies uh, that being said, that is it for, I'm not going to plug anything else financially during these episodes. I'm going to be doing hopefully five episodes with artists from the album to help promote it. Uh, but please go to the band camp, the 11th hour songs for climate justice Buy the album. If this is October, October 28th, the notes, all links will be in the show notes. 
or any time after in the future. Thank you very much for listening to your to my podcast. Thank you for buying the album in advance because I know you'll do the right thing and buy the album. I'm very excited to be a part of this. I'm so, to be quite honest, I told Adam McKay, he invited me to a couple of these climate things, meetings, things, and people were giving like $20,000 and $100,000 to the Climate Emergency Fund. And uh, I'm a lowly podcaster. I don't have that fucking kind of money. I get my electric bill that's $200 every month, and I'm like, fuck. But I said, you know what I can do? I can put an album together, a fundraising album, and quite frankly, I didn't fucking know how to do that. I can put a podcast together. I know people from doing the podcast, and I have friends who are musicians. Uh, I didn't know how to fuck to do this. And thankfully, Sub Pop and Becca, I reached out to Becca at Sub Pop, immediately was like, yes, we can do this. And I, Becca hooked me up with the big wigs over there, and then they hooked me up with Nick Duncan, and we started doing it. And I just want to say many thanks to all people at Sub Pop. There's a reason you've been my favorite label, one of my favorite labels, since I was a young man. And you proved it by being fucking rad and fucking rad to work with. So that's it. Uh, Charlotte and I discussed the album a little bit, among many other things. So please enjoy my conversation with Charlotte Cornfield and buy the album. Thank you. That is The, the water situation here is so bad, and I talk to my friends about it, and there is this weird, not even weird, there's just a total denial of reality, <laughs> and I'm like, it's gonna run out, like, in, unless there's some yeah. kind of miracle, and I'm an atheist, so that don't swing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how how is it up in Canada climate wise? He's like I would assume Toronto's pretty okay for the moment. Yeah, I mean it's Great Lakes, so we're it's pretty stable here. I mean I've noticed over the course of my life because I grew up in Toronto as well. Summers have gotten hotter, um, winters have gotten slushier and um, and more swing temperature wise. But definitely not as intense as um, what's happening in some of the coastal climates and some of the drier uh, areas of the country and and it's, stuff like that. It's kind of remarkable to me that it's not a uh, like. I mean, we'll we'll blab about the queen dying for a fucking month, but I'm like, I'm like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. you know what else is dying? The ocean. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's terrifying. <laughs> Um, and, and, and and speaking of which, though, and not that this is the sole reason you're here, but I really appreciate the song that you gave to the compilation album. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for putting it on the comp. I was really excited to be part of it. It's, uh, I'm like, you know, I'm, I've done, I don't know, I'm like speechless with how proud I am about the whole project and to not just be like, uh, you know. Hey, me or the, here's my stuff. It's just like it's a. It was a such a joy to just have people want to jump on board and just do something. Yeah, I mean, it's such a cool project. I can't can't wait to check out the whole thing. Uh, I I t- actually I talked to Nick at Sub Pop. I was trying to get links to the artists so they could download. So I'll I'll check into that and see if I can get you a link or something very soon because it's the whole thing is pretty incredible. And cool. the. The song, just in general, your music, but that song, there's something about your music that, like, it for me, and maybe this is for everybody, but it doesn't just evoke, like, an emotion, but it also, like, imagery and, like, also, like, puts me in a certain spot. Like, I feel like I'm, I live within your songs. I don't know if that's a weird thing <laughs> <Cool>. to say. <laughs> no, that's really, really cool to hear. But I don't, and that's, I would say for me, a rare experience. Like I, there, music will do certain things for me, but where I just become immersed almost in a world within the song. I don't know if that's a, is that a, is that that's, that's really, that's really sweet to hear. Cause I guess I like to think of songs as their own little worlds. So I guess 
indirectly, kind of that's what I'm striving for. That's what I was. Yeah, I was just curious. When I think about the songs that I really love that have inspired me to write, I feel like I can escape into them for a little while and kind of be in a different place. Yeah, it it's strange. Like I think of the song that you gave to the compilation, and it. Like, there's imagery that I, even when I just think about the song, I'm, like, back there, which is, like, that's uh, some pretty brilliant stuff there, Charlotte. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thanks. What were some of the artists that inspired you to go in that direction? Um, I mean, I guess there's a, there are a lot of um, sort of introspective and descriptive songwriters that I love. In terms of Little Worlds, I've been listening to a lot of Arthur Russell, and I feel like he conjures these incredible little worlds with very descriptive um, imagery, and so that's really inspiring. I'm I'm a huge Jeff Tweedy fan. I saw the picture um, of you guys together. Yeah, 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 meeting him was really really cool. And um, that's my hometown as well. So I, Chicago. Oh, cool. Yeah, that's why I said you guys because I'm a I can't shake my Chicago. <laughs> I mean, we say you guys at Toronto. I feel like there, there's some real um, kinship between Chicago and Toronto. Um, there there's is. a lot in common, I, I think. I I worked at Second City, so I would actually bounce back and forth to both cities often. And uh, I just, yours, it, I felt like it was Chicago, but disappointingly, the bars closed earlier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That sounds about right. <laughs> but the beer has more uh, alcohol, so it's kind of a trade. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. Did t- oh, that's cool that you worked at Second City. I, As a kid, I did, like, improv classes there. Oh, really? School um, in Toronto. That's, that's when I started it. I started in, like, at 15, I started taking classes. And is that... Cool. Uh, did you go to shows regular, regularly? I did for a little while, um, would go to the ones at the theater, at the Second City Theater downtown. Do you, do you remember any of the people you perhaps saw? I Even- definitely remember seeing Gavin Crawford. Oh. Um, and... He was I, friends with my friend Mary Pat. I believe they did a show together for a while. Like a Oh, I think t- Mary Pat, was she a teacher as well? I think so. That's crazy. Because I might have taken some classes. Yeah, I was... I was 12 and I was really interested in it, but also getting really seriously into music. And my parents were like, you have to pick one because <laughs> these, are, these are serious, seriously kind of like indulgent extracurriculars. So I ended up, um, I did it for a year or two and then just kind of focused on music. But when I first joined, they put me in an intermediate class and Michael Sarah was in my wow. um, class. But then, then very quickly he got, I think I got bumped down because I, and he stayed in the intermediate because I, I, they put me in a beginner because I didn't really have any uh, acting experience at that point at all. Um, and he was already a professional actor like on YTV and stuff like that. Have you ever bumped into him later in, in the world and been able to bring that up to him? Um, I have seen him and we've exchanged a look of recognition, but <laughs> haven't actually like spoken about it. <laughs> I don't know if he actually knows who I am at all, but that's fine. <laughs> I, if he, he's, he's pretty hip in the music. He knows what's going on in the music world. I would say. He, yeah. Well, he, um, was in that band, Mr. Heavenly for yeah. a bit. And he has, he has a bar in Brooklyn, I think. And definitely friends with a lot with the islands, unicorns crew and a bunch of music folks. I think I somehow forgot that he's Canadian. I don't know how I forgot that. Yeah, he's he's from Brampton, I'm pretty sure, which is a suburb of Toronto. Right on. Did you? Did, I don't know if this is a hokey question, but do you feel like improv training at all influenced your music world? Or I know you did jazz, so maybe that's maybe there's a connection. Definitely, I mean, improv factors hugely into jazz. Yeah, I think just the having to think on your feet and. Um, yeah, and, and kind of roll with the punches and roll with unexpected things is very helpful in, in the music world, both like on stage and off stage when things get thrown at you. And <laughs> you have to adapt to certain situations. But yeah, I definitely have found it really helpful. And, and 
especially in terms of stage banter, because I, I don't like, I don't like planning what I'm going to say on stage. I like it to be spontaneous. And so I feel like having like a little bit of improv training has helped me just feel comfortable riffing on stage. I think that's um, because I've seen bands play and then their banter is really scripted. And I'm like, like I, I think it was the shins. I'm going to shit talk to shins, but they, (laughs) (laughs) it was like the same, like it seemed real spontaneous. So the first time I was like, Oh, this is great. And they're so funny. And then the next time I saw them, I was like, that's the same exact fucking banter, man. (laughs) Yeah. It's always a little disappointing when you hear the same story, like twice. I've had that opening for artists where they'll say something on stage and I'm like, that is so good. And then the next night say the exact same thing and you realize they've been doing it for years or months. (laughs) I will give the shins credit though, that they were able to pull it off as seeming spontaneous both times. (laughs) Yeah. I totally respect like whatever works for people. Some people like just the comfort of knowing what's going to happen yeah. up there. I did see too, and I don't know if this, I mean that you would like to keep spontaneous in the, I, I believe it was for your recent album that you like, everyone came prepared, but you said you like to leave moments for like, to see what happens. Is that, I, I don't, how do you allow that to, is it just to see if somebody is, is inspired to do something? How did, is that, a, I don't know if, if that's a, uh, solid question. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so, like it's a pretty. I feel like the type of music that I make, it's a pretty simple framework in terms of arrangements, and there's just a lot of room um, for people to interpret things and kind of ex- express their interpretation of the song inside the the structure or whatever. And so that's why I love playing with people who. Um, whose musicianship I love and who I feel like a friendship with or some kind of connection with, because then it feels like we can communicate on stage and things can happen. It's not like, yeah, there's no drum solos and bass (laughs) solos and pyrotechnics, dancers, nothing like that, but just these little moments that help kind of enhance the, the show. And I've never been, I like being really like well-rehearsed, Um, but I don't like over rehearsing and I don't like beating things to the ground. Um, and at this point I've been playing with the people I've been playing with for long enough that I trust that everyone knows the song. So I think they're going in with a little bit of jitters can sometimes be really fun and really exciting. And, and, um, and it makes, it makes playing the set a little more exciting when it feels fresh. Right. Did and you did you start as a drummer? Because I I read that you were in, in a jazz quartet. Yeah, so I I started music lessons when I was a really little kid, um, studying classical piano, and I picked up a bit of French horn in school. But then my school, uh, my elementary school, um, had a Trinidadian steel pan orchestra which is something that was offered in a lot of schools throughout Toronto because there's a huge Caribbean community here. And that was really special because I got to join the Steel Pen Band, and that was where I first sat behind a drum kit and felt the explosiveness of that and was really inspired by that. So I started taking drum lessons when I was 12 or 13 and then ended up doing that, studying that in university playing jazz, playing a whole range of different things. Um, but, but yeah, always playing. And I also around the same time, 12 or 13, I started picking up guitar, but I was, I've always been self-taught guitar. I don't have tons of training, but I can play what I need to play. And I feel (laughs) confident (laughs) doing that. Yeah. I just, it's also, I partly laugh because it's, your songs are so great. And it's, I just, to hear you be like, and I could play what I need to play. I'm like, you play (laughs) your songs are really great. So apparently it works (laughs) with, was there any specific reason you went towards jazz or were, I mean, I, I was kind of the same way. Like I started playing drums at the same age. I sucked, however, and quickly learned I should step away. (laughs) I was very attracted to like jazz drumming and like buddy rich was like, I don't know why as a kid, not a lot of guys outside of Chicago into Buddy Rich, 
<laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I think jazz to me was, it was a way that I could study music in school. It felt like the closest to what I wanted to do. Cause I, I knew I didn't want to like strict classical training and I love jazz. I don't think I went in going, I'm going to be a jazz musician. I think I always knew it was something I wanted some formal training on, but then I wanted to just do my thing. And the cool thing about, I, I studied in Montreal and I really just wanted to move to Montreal and kind of immerse myself in the music scene there, which I did. And school was kind of a vessel to connect with people and to get tapped into the, the scene, which I moved there in 2006. So at that time in Montreal, there was just so much going on. I mean, there always is, but it was a real kind of indie rock heyday there. Yeah, you couldn't. I mean, down here, that's if we heard about it all the time. And I, I think it was around that time, <clears throat> though they never really broke big. But did you know the Apollo Ghosts at all? Yeah. I just I was I learned about them on some blog and I was been a, kind of obsessed ever since. <laughs> That's Adrian. Is Adrian teacher in that yeah, band? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, was there a moment with the the drums that you were knew that you wanted to get more towards being the singer songwriter person? I think I've always embraced both, and I think being able to do both um, has been really good for my music life because it allows me an outlet that is not just my music and my identity. And so I think it all kind of happened at once. I knew I loved music. I loved playing. I wanted to play guitar and sing. Initially, when I had a band in high school, I was like, I identify as a drummer. So I'm going to be the drummer of this band and write the songs, but someone else is going to sing them and it was just a total disaster. We had like a, a rotating, <laughs> a rotating cast of singers. And I think it was just out of frustration that, cause I was writing songs on guitar out of frustration. I was like, I need to be the front person of this band and we need to get a rhythm section. So my best friend in high school, Adrian, she and I played music together all through high school. And then in grade 12, we decided we need some like younger people in the band who we can boss around. <laughs> and so, we, <laughs> so we got a younger bassist and drummer and I was like, okay, this, this I like, this works for me. But that whole time and still like last night I had a gig, like I've been doing a bunch of drum stuff for friends and recording and, and gigging. I don't tour so much playing drums anymore. Cause if I want to, if I'm on the road, I want to be doing my own thing. But um, yeah, I just really love it as an outlet and as a different musical expression than playing my own music. Do you ever do the leave on helm thing and drum and sing, which just, baffles me <laughs> I do a little bit yeah and I actually my bandmate Steve he also so he plays drums with me when we play live but he also has a band and I play drums with him in that band so we've been talking about incorporating that into our set like switching up so I'll sing and play drums and he can do my guitar parts just to add some pizzazz <laughs> to <laughs> Just as a little party trick on stage. Um, but yeah, I have done a bunch of drumming and singing over the years, and it's it's really fun. I did four or five years back, um, I was in this theater show that was inspired by trains, and we were doing all these train songs like Gordon Lightfoot and Tom Waits and all, all these songs that had trains in them, and I was kind of like wearing overalls, playing drums and singing, singing them on stage. It was fun. Anyway, I really enjoyed doing that. Do you do, do you still like mingle in the theater world some? Um, not really. I, the only times that I've, I mean, I have lots of friends in that world, but um, that being in that production was the only time I've like been in a theater show. But I like going to see stuff and, but I don't, I'm not really a part of that world. Just for my own simple, dumb person, because I'm, I'm not very smart, Charlotte. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I disagree. <laughs> I, but I'm curious because I, I watch somebody play drums and sing, and I know this is like, 
the simplest of questions. It's like asking somebody from Chicago if they like deep dish pizza, which <laughs> I do, but I eat, I prefer the thin crust pizza from Chicago, which no one knows about. But that's besides the point. <laughs> <laughs> but like, is is it hard to play drums and sing? I know that's a dumb question, so forgive me. <laughs> um, I think... It depends on the person. For me, it comes pretty intuitively, but also that's from like years of just practicing drum coordination and feeling really comfortable with all of my limbs doing different things. The thing that I struggle with more when doing it live is like getting the sound right so that I can hear myself sing on stage and so that it translates. Because singing from the drums is just a little bit more difficult to, to mix like having the lead singer on the drums to get a monitor mix and a front of house mix. But um, but I don't, yeah, I find it totally doable and, and really fun. Uh, to, I, I don't, I, I, I think it's interesting cause I just interviewed the Lydia from Gustav and she also did improv before, like at this, like as she was moving into music. And I find that interesting that cool. it's com- comedy worlds and music worlds often intermingle. Yeah, I think I've been kind of watching from afar with a fandom, the stuff happening at Largo in Los Angeles. Oh, yeah. Shows where a comedian will organize it, but invite a bunch of guest musicians. And I've never been to one, so I don't exactly know the format, but that's really cool to me, that show structure and that crossover. It's Because it, I organize shows as well around LA, and it's sometimes it's... Especially if the band is very bombastic, <laughs> it's hard. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's hard for a comic to follow. But like I've seen shows at Largo, and I've seen some of the most amazing. Like I saw um, Fiona Apple and uh, John Bryan play at a Paul F. Tompkins show, and it was like I also felt bad for because it was like pure magic, and I was like, oh, sorry to follow that comedy guy. But it's also I've seen some magical, amazing shows, and it's when it works, it's incredible. Yeah, yeah, it's. Definitely, I definitely see see the two worlds intermingling a lot. Does anyone do something like that in Toronto? Seems like, um, not quite. There's definitely some some comedy music crossover, but nothing so formal as that. More like different scenes of people knowing each other. But there, I, there is a little bit of a divide too. Like, I don't feel totally. I know there's like a thriving comedy scene here but I don't feel totally tapped into it. I did, I ran a venue here for four or five years and we did a bunch of comedy as well as music. And um, yeah, it was interesting to see just like the different crowds come through and and switch over from show to show. But I mean, I, I love, I love comedy. I think it's like incredible art form and I want to go to more stuff and learn more about it. But I don't think it's as intertwined in Toronto as it is in some other places with music. Do you do you think you'd ever go back and do improv again? I was actually thinking about it. I, I guess I started thinking about it during the pandemic when I had lots of time to <laughs> think about things. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's definitely something I would tap back into. And it's, I mean, I just, I had so much fun doing it. Um and I think, I think like you were saying, it just helps in so many aspects of life, just in regular conversation and then stage, enhancing the stage performance. So yeah, no immediate plans of getting back into it, but definitely entertaining it, that idea. Yeah. Uh, we, did you, you wrote, uh, I have to look at the title because I forget, High in the Minuses. I always uh, as a says, yeah. I I just don't trust my brain. That's why I had to. Read it. <laughs> I, I have nieces yeah. and nephews whose names uh, evade me, so I have to. <laughs> <laughs> I don't trust. But I wanted to because you wrote that during the pandemic, and you were living in the neighborhood that you grew up in. Is that correct? Yeah. Um. I yeah. I was. I just I find that because I don't know. I I I don't know if it relates to what we were saying at the top of like evoking images and and whatnot when I listened to the music, but I was wondering if it was like while you were creating that music, if things were memories and things were popping out at you and what, if that 
I don't know what that was like. Like if some of it was like working through some issues or <laughs> moments. I don't want to, I was trying to avoid issues, but. <laughs> um, it was just, yeah, it was just kind of revisiting my past, my upbringing, my youth in this way that felt kind of empathetic. And I wasn't looking back with any sort of bias or this thing went wrong or this thing went right. It was more, more just delving back into those experiences and, and that happening because I was kind of walking the streets that I grew up walking. And I lived away from Toronto for many years um, before coming back. So I think having that time away too, um, I've been back for a while now, but it, it just gives me a different perspective. And then feeling, having all this time to reflect and think about how music, my, my adolescence in music really shaped my life and things like on the song, Blame Myself, I sing about going to Long and McQuaid, which is a music store here. It's a chain in Canada. And in high school, I used to go there after school on Fridays and like play electronic drums for hours. And yeah, and how it's just this through line that has always stayed with me playing it. The first time I wrote a love song, I played it on a trampoline at a party in high school with some friends. And that reaction was so powerful that it made me want to write more songs like that I hadn't really written anything that was that emotional or that personal before and that was a really turning point moment for me so reflecting on that moment and then writing about it it, yeah it was kind of a cathartic experience for sure how did you did your friends prompt you to sing a song yeah I think it was I was always kind of the ham in high school who who was just like performing. And so if a guitar was getting passed around at a party, I would inevitably get it at some point. And I just remember going like someone, there's always somebody playing Neil Young songs and, and whatever, but I was, I just remember going, okay, I wrote this song. I'm scared to play it for you guys, but here it is. And then it was just silence afterwards. And then a few stone teenagers going, Whoa, that was intense. That was really intense. (laughs) And do you feel like that was a definitive? That's wild. Because it's like, I feel like I talk to a lot of people and not, it's rare that there's these definitive, like, and then everything sort of, it's like biopic moment. Yeah, it was a pretty definitive moment for me because it gave me the confidence and courage to do that kind of thing. A question that people often ask me is like, how are you, how do you, are you that open and like sharing personal things? It's just, for me, it's the best way to communicate a song. And I don't feel like it's confessional. It's just the, the, yeah, the way that I write often comes from personal experience and it, it's effective because a lot of these things are universal. A lot of the, like heartbreak is universal. Grief is universal joy. Um, these are all things that, that, everyone experiences. So writing from a personal specific perspective that outlines that imagery, I think, yeah, has just always been what's worked, but definitely that trampoline moment was pretty definitive, I would say. Yeah. And had you written other open and personal songs prior to that song or was that kind of the first? That was the first one. I feel- it was also the first one where I was like, this is really good. <laughs> <laughs> like when you finished writing it? Yeah, I was like, I I had written tons of, I've just always written tons of songs, but I think it takes a while to, to land on something. And, and I mean, it, take, it takes forever to find a voice and it's something that I'm always going to be working on. But that was the first time I'm like, that magic happened where something clicked and I captured something that I wanted to express without even realizing. And yeah, it was kind of a magical moment. It's wild when you realize that. Like that's, that's, it's funny. Cause it's like, 
when you're stumbling along the creative path and you think you got it and you're like, I got it. And then you're like, I don't got it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or you see yeah. someone else who's got it and you're like, ah, oh, fuck. Like they got it. I don't got it. Like yeah. I feel that really with writing. Like I was, I, I read Jerry Stahl and I was like, oh, fuck. I'm, I'm a child. <laughs> <laughs> but I got to ask him. I'm like, do you feel that about writers? He's like, oh yeah, Hubert Selby. I'm like, I feel like a child. And I'm like, so everyone's there. Everyone always feels yeah. like a child. <laughs> yeah. Um, really? do, you, do you feel like that moment when you were like, did you feel like then you were chasing that again? Or did you feel like you were somewhat settled in your voice? Um, I think it, it's like, it's such a journey of, going in and out and trying different things. But I think suddenly I, w I was like, okay, this thing is working. This thing works for me. Um, and I think part of it is being raised by writers, both, I mean, my dad's a musician, but also a journalist. My mom's a writer. Um, and she was a ma magazine editor and writer the whole time I was growing up. So for me, it was this suddenly words and music together are working and being able to take a melody that I thought was strong or catchy and pair it with words that I could really stand behind. Suddenly I was like, okay, so this lyrics forward kind of personal, slightly narrative um, but d descriptive type of songwriting. I don't even know how to describe it, but whatever this thing is, I want to keep exploring. And so I've definitely been exploring that Do, forever. Because I've some of the articles I've read about you, people th throw you as a lyricist in with some some biggies. I'm sure you're aware of, but like I've heard Berman, Prine, uh, Leonard Cohen, which is. You're, you're, you're walking with the, you're walking with the giants, <laughs> but I'm curious to which is the first focus or what hits you first when, when inspired do, or is it a mix? I think it is really, it is the mix because definitely finding, I found music before I like I was always reading books and loved writing and loved writing in school, but I f music, there was this sudden passionate joy that I felt playing it. And then I think at that sort of delicate age of tweendom, 12, 13, discovering, getting into people like Neil Young and Joni Mitchell and Leonard Cohen and Bob Dylan, which I fell in love with. I'm like, oh, this is what I want to do because these people are all poets and incredible writers and they're telling stories and just painting pictures that are so inspiring and the music is so good. I was just kind of like this, this is what it is. Were there a lot of books around the house, I'm assuming? Yeah, definitely. Were your parents, uh, did they encourage certain authors or did you sort of trip through their books yourself and find stuff yeah I mean my dad um had lots of kind of hippie boomer <laughs> literature around tons of Tom Wolfe Kurt Vonnegut S.J. Perelman Ooh, um Perlman. humor writer yeah who he loved and so I got kind of into that stuff and my mom had all these like yeah beautiful novels and yeah, I just kind of ate everything up from both sides. And my mom was also hugely into Joni, which I didn't realize that by osmosis through her, I was listening to Joni basically from the womb. And I think internalizing a lot of her stuff before at that 12, 13 age, I started being more um, actively listening to her. And so... Yeah, so I think Joni Mitchell has just became a huge influence. But definitely, I'm really grateful that we we always had these stimulating dialogues and conversations. And 
Um, like it was a little bit like ten and bombsy, but, <laughs> but like my parents always encouraged us to articulate what we were trying to say and to get our point across. And we were always debating my brother and I um, at the table and and strong opinions. I just think being around that kind of energy inspired me to want to create, and that coupled with all of the different influences, it yeah, just kind of let it. That's happen. great. That's great that your parents encourage that because, I mean, I think, and th- I'm trying to do that with my kids where we're like, art and express yourself. And and my dad was, shut up. <laughs> and, <laughs> and all those working class tropes of fun. <laughs> um, I, I wanted to go back to uh, the... Tweety, did Tweety come and see you or did you, how did that, I'm just curious because it's like in Chicago, Tweety's such a, you know. I mean, he's, he's a legend everywhere, but in Chicago, yeah. Yeah, and it's like people would be like, I saw Jeff Tweety. I saw Jeff Tweety with a burrito. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it's interesting how, because I had, during the pandemic, I just went on this huge Tweety kick where I read his memoir and his book, How to Write One Song, and then was watching the Tweety show with my partner, which... What's his Tweety? Was, what's the Tweety show? So it was that he and his whole family, his two sons and wife, they were doing a... They started by doing an Instagram Live every night where they would just play songs together, and it was just you go into their living room and watch them do this thing, and very generous, very open. And I, I think I hooked onto it after they'd been doing it for a while, but I just, it was the perfect antidote to thinking about all of the scary things that were happening in the world. And I was, I just was so inspired by, and they were playing, playing some Jeff songs, but then just covering whatever songs that they discovered that week. And it, yeah, just a really beautiful outlet. And so, yeah, my partner and I, we watched a bunch of those. And then, I don't know, I watched the documentary, I'm Trying to Break Your Heart. And I just went, I went deep. I think when I go deep on things, I just intensely. Me too. (laughs) Yeah. I relate. (laughs) And then, and Spencer, Jeff's son, Spencer, and I like cross over a little bit in terms of like mutual friends um, and so he, he was playing that show um, with his partner, Casey, whose project is called Case Oats. They were opening the show um, and Jeff came to check them out. And he, it was just kind of really, it was one of those meet your heroes experiences that was so positive. And I, yeah, I, I was really appreciating it, but he came and found us in the green room and right when he arrived and he was like, Hey, I wanted to stay and catch your guys set, but my friend is here and she's my ride and she needs to leave after Casey, but I wanted to come and meet you guys and like check in and see how the tour is going. How is the border? Um, how are, how are things in Toronto? Just, I was like, wow, that is so nice. And then I just, and, and Spencer was there too. And I just kind of told him, you know, like the tweet i your stuff has kind of helped get me through the pandemic and the Tweety show so beautiful. And, and he was like, Oh, well, you got to come downstairs and meet my wife, Susie, cause she's a huge part of that too. And so I chatted with them for a while and yeah, it was just a very positive, very relaxed. I mean, I was nervous, but just, yeah, very, I, it was very generous of him to come and say, like he really didn't have to come and say hi and chat with us, but just super nice. That's a so, great like great lake stuff. That's great lake. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but there is and that is like I feel like with Toronto and Chicago there's like I don't know if it, it's that you can't get too big for your britches there cuz somebody will be like nope, they'll check mm-hmm. that shit real fast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um and I love that album he does he did I think it's just called Tweety, but he, with his son, he has an album yeah. or two, and it's, it's yeah. so good. I love it, too. Yeah. Uh, so, so good. I want more of that. I was like, more of that. We, more, <laughs> but I, what I wanted to ask you, and I got thro- I lost my place. That's what happened. 
and but so I went to the Tweety thing because, <laughs> <laughs> but because I remember reading about the moment where you were managing a club or booking a club, and deciding to quit and do music full time, and I was curious just mm-hmm. how that because that's a scary. I would imagine that's a scary thing. Yeah, I mean, for me it was interesting because that that job managing the venue. I, I almost fell into it. I loved it. Um, but I had, I had done f- music full time before that. Like when I graduated from school in 2010, I was just kind of doing music for a couple of years. Then I moved to New York and was kind of working odd jobs and, and doing music. And then a lot of things happened and I had to go back to Toronto and I, needed some kind of a fresh start and having my music project be my the main and only thing I was working on at that moment didn't feel right and then my friends who I had met in Montreal said we're opening this spot and we need someone to run it and so they asked me to run the venue and I stepped into that and suddenly had the stability of a full-time job, which I'd never had before, plus a really stable way to get back into the Toronto scene and reconnect, plus be immersed in music all the time and book and curate things that I was really passionate about. So it was really, really great. Um, and it was, it was really, really great for a few years. And then I just hit a point where I was like, okay, this isn't what I want to do long-term. This was a great way to come home and way to get back into the swing of things. But what I am really passionate about is, um, is music. So luckily it timed out that my last record before highs and the minus is the shape of your name came out right around the time I was leaving that job and things started to pick up and I was lucky enough to be able to do, um, music or have been able to do music full-time after that. But it sort of happened naturally, the ebb and flow of things. That's great, because that, <laughs> that leap and that... Because I freelance, and man, it's just like there's months where I'm like, what have I done? Can't I just go sell insurance? <laughs> yeah, I, I when I got that job, I was like, wow, this is a thing. Like, you can just have enough money. And it's not like that job paid well. <laughs> it's it wasn't a it wasn't a but it was a full-time gig and for me that was completely brand new and that gets to me that gets scary after a while too because then you're like fuck i i'm stuck i'm stuck here Mm -hmm. yeah and that's i was kind of i was starting to feel that for sure. yeah because i did that when i had a kid i took a job because i was like well like there was that voice it's like well you should be a responsible adult and then but that doesn't mean anything. A, a secure job is that's an, just as much as an illu- of an illusion as anything else. <laughs> like, yeah, those oh, yeah. go away too. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, definitely. I, are you? Are you? How do you sit where you? Do you see where you are? And are you pleased? Because I feel like I've from researching you, the 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 arc of your career is pretty goddamn impressive and you won a polaris <laughs> award <laughs> like i mean th- th- uh, it, it's gotta be mind-blowing right it's it's been really cool and i'm really grateful because i have always been a long game musician like just kind of a lifer been doing it since i was a kid and um i, I am kind of grateful that nothing ever just like happened quickly everything that's happened has felt like slow and steady but each record seems to open up more doors than the last one and that just has been feeling really good and I'm just really grateful to be able to do this as a thing and as a career and be surrounded by an incredible community of supportive people and people who want to put out my records and yeah it's it's really cool and um yeah it's it's yeah. It is a dream. It is the dream for me. <laughs> the, I don't know. I feel like the things, like what you said, it didn't like it didn't happen overnight, or what. It, it's like I feel like that is 
the worst thing that can happen for most people. <laughs> it's just very unnatural. It's it's like sometimes it's very well deserved and but I feel like it's unnatural and it would be strange I've never experienced it but to go from tiny show to sold out stadium in very little time it would just feel bizarre. I don't know. I, I, I just can speak for my own brain that the pressure would make, I would collapse. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I am appreciating that a lot of like bigger artists now are being more honest and open about that pressure and, and the touring pressure and how, when there's more people on the team who are relying on you for their income, like I just can't imagine. Yeah. That's just so far from what I know. And I don't know if it's the same in music, but like when I was at Second City, there was these sort of, it was almost like the real world where there was these predetermined paths you should go follow after you leave Second City. Like go write for Conan or go do write this. And it seemed, then I would see my friends get there and it all seemed not what it was supposed to be. (laughs) (laughs) And it was like this don't, but then it, which is good because I think it taught others to maybe not, to, to be find what you do better that was a yeah. terrible statement <laughs> that grammar was awful <laughs> no but I totally got what you were saying <laughs> um, do you because it's been about a year since the album came out do you have some are you working on a new one you got a yeah so I've got a new one done it's going to come out next year which I'm excited about um, and yeah that's just kind of, I, I love, yeah, I love just being able to keep making records and putting them out. So that's what I'm going to keep doing. And yeah. Is, uh, oh, that's what I wanted to ask. Cause you said you'd like to find new ways of, do, do you challenge yourself when you go to a new album? Do you like try to go find different directions to go into, or do you just allow that to be an organic sort of discovery? I mean, I think there are choices that I, have made and I've made a few records now, but I definitely don't know. It's such a, there's so many decisions you can make and like who to work with, where to go, what to sound like. And I just always start from the, from the song writing perspective and spend a lot of time alone writing and, and then go, okay, what is this batch of songs and who should I take them to? And what should I do? And so this summer, I I really loved J- Josh Kaufman, who also produced and played on that track that's on the compilation. I did my record with him, and he had made... I mean, he's just an incredible, gifted, virtuosic musician and producer, but he's made so many records that I love. And so I just was like, I want to reach out to him, and I want to work with him, and that's kind of what we did. But it, that felt like the right thing, the right choice for that batch of songs, whereas... The highs and the minuses stuff I knew was scrappier, more immediate. I wanted a live band sound and I wanted to do it in Montreal with Howard Billerman, who's a dear friend. And yeah, so it's just, it kind of depends. Uh, but I, I feel like it kind of starts with the songs and then I'm like, where do I take these? Do you share them with anybody before? Do you share like with your partner or do you keep them to yourself until you feel like it's time to show all of it? Um, I definitely try to play them for some people this batch that I wrote for this record that I just made with Josh I had I have a songwriting group that meets on zoom with some friends from western Canada but also now it includes some more Ontario folks and we started meeting every week during the pandemic and just having that deadline to write a song every week I found was really helpful. And then to have that feedback of immediately, as soon as I write it, playing playing it for people and seeing and hearing the reaction and getting really thoughtful, critical feedback that I found really helpful for writing this batch. And then highs and the minuses, I did a similar thing with my friend Kim Ritchie, who's a wonderful songwriter who lives in Nashville, who is kind of my de facto mentor through that process I would just we would hang out on zoom I'd play her a song she'd be like why don't you try this or think about this or what are you listening to today and and so definitely having I don't like doing it in a vacuum having somebody to share it with is is definitely really helpful 
does what you're listening to currently often influence what you're working on? Definitely. I think biosmosis and, um, and actively, but sometimes I'll write something and go, Oh, that makes sense. Cause I was listening to that thing today, but I, tr- I try to always, I mean, I love listening to music, so I'm always listening to stuff and I find the more I listen, the more I want to write. I think it's cool. I feel like the pandemic for all its horribleness helped a lot of people discover new things and like directions, which I feel I, I, and almost to a degree where some people made fun of it. Like I remember what was like, people would be like, what are you making sourdough? And I was like, yeah. I'm yeah. Like, <laughs> but I'm like, yeah, yeah, what's wrong with that? Why is that suddenly mockable? <laughs> well, I think, yeah, it's that thing of, and, and again, not, I know I realize not everyone had the luxury to be bored, but boredom and, and wide swaths of time, like create this, it pull out creativity in a way. Cause you're like, this is the, I'm, I'm always thinking, Oh, I'm going to learn to, I'm going to learn how to patch the fence, but it's never at the top of my priority list. But suddenly, suddenly I have two weeks to learn how to do this thing that I could spend my entire, I don't know how to fix fences, but that for some reason, that was the example that I use. Cause you and I are going to start as zoom fence. Group, Cause I don't either. <laughs> I think, but to me, the the pandemic in a lot of ways for those people who did have that luxury of free time, I was like, kind of made me think, I'm like, this is how it's supposed to be. Like as humans, we're not supposed to be like, I feel like nine to five, rushing in a car, jumping on, like, that feels natural to me. It's not natural. Yeah. I think. And I see why some people gravitate to a more pastoral lifestyle of like hard physical work in on a farm during the day and then a relaxed evening. It's just not the city. It's not the city way and it's not my way, but, but yeah, it's true. The, the kind of rat, rat race nine to five. I vote. Yeah. I've always, unnatural. It doesn't work for me. Did you, did you make sourdough? I didn't make sourdough. We made, we made other, other things that, that I, I mean, I was really not a very good cook before the pandemic. I'm not a, still not a great one, but I suddenly was like, okay, I need to get better at this. So yeah, just learned some more cooking basics, got a little bit more confident in the kitchen. I also finally got my driver's license, which, All right. um, yeah, again, being a city kid, which I can't believe I waited this long to 33 to get it, but yeah, that's been a really freeing experience. But yeah, having my partner's car just sitting in the driveway going, I'm, I've always put it off. Now is the time to not put it off and just get it done. So, And now you're good. a race car driver, right? Yeah. <laughs> and hear me speeding on the, the garden or the highway near us. <laughs> I See, that's great. I, I also think it's funny that you were you're like a touring musician, but you're like, I can't drive. <laughs> yeah, I always just surround myself with people who could. <laughs> I always preferred, now I don't. It's weird. I used to always want to be the driver, but now I'm like, no, thanks. I don't know. It's a weird, maybe it's just I'm old and I I know better that my eyes aren't as good. Well, yeah, I, I definitely, I mean, I still have a long ways to go as a driver. I'm, I feel like a new driver, but yeah, I could see it. I don't think I'll ever be the type of person who's like, I could go nine hours. Without, <laughs> which is the reality of touring in Canada is sometimes you have to go nine hours and or longer yeah um what but with your dishes cooking was there anything you got into like because i'll get obsessed with like a dish and if i don't get it right then i'm like i gotta do it again until i get it right (laughs) yeah i i worked on a thai green curry dish for a while got that sort of up to snuff and yeah, a couple other curry things, mushroom risotto. My partner's vegan and I'm vegetarian, so we eat mostly veg. So, yeah, just exploring veg cooking. I do I do most of the cooking in our homestead, so that's why it's uh, – but I get – but I hear the risotto is a tough one, is it? Yeah, I mean, there there's – our way doesn't feel that tough, <laughs> probably because it's not a – it's not like an incredible risotto, but it's, if you have nice mushrooms and 
that's all that matters. It's yeah, pretty straight ahead and really delicious. Well, what a better place to end than mushroom risotto. <laughs> yeah, it's making me hungry. <laughs> um, I actually am too. I will. Say, I just wanted to again thank you for being a part of the compilation. It means the the world to me. Well, yeah, thanks so much for including me. It's yeah, it means a lot to me as well. That is 